Welcome to The Dive, the podcast that asks, who said business news needs to be all business? The Commonwealth Games have not been having a good time of late. Here in Australia, you could not miss the headlines last month when Victorian Premier Dan Andrews cancelled the event, citing a huge blowout in the budget as the reason behind the decision. The Games will not proceed in Victoria in 2026. Uh, We have informed Commonwealth Games authorities of our decision to seek to terminate the contract. But this isn't the first time the Games have been without a home. Last year, Birmingham had to step up to the host role four years early when South Africa was stripped of their hosting rights. And at the beginning of August, the Canadian province of Alberta withdrew their bid from hosting the 2030 Games. And they are the only ones in the running. It's Monday, the 28th of August, and today I want to know, why does no one want to host the Commonwealth Games? To talk about this today, I'm joined by Nick Files, who's the Australia and Pacific correspondent for the Financial Times. Nick, welcome to The Dive. Good morning, Sasha. Now, let's start, I think, with talking about what's happening in Victoria. The Premier at the time of the cancellation said that it was the blowout of the costs, an estimated 6 to $7 billion, which was well above their planned $2.6 billion. That was the rationale for the cancellation. They've now reached a compensation settlement after pulling out the cost of $380 million. Can you focus for me on what role money and basically the blowouts of the budget and the cost overruns has taken in the course of this decision-making process? And are there any other factors that we need to consider? Yeah, uh, thanks. It's, um, I mean, look, you know, at face value, this is pretty compelling as an excuse because we've all in Australia and in England and everywhere in the world, we're all dealing with a cost of living crisis, higher petrol costs, you know, higher mortgages. I mean, this, this is no secret, right? So, it, you know, I don't think anybody would have been surprised that a big infrastructure project was going to come under pressure. I think what has been a surprise is the level. And certainly the Commonwealth Games Federation were very, very sceptical about some of the numbers, that the $7 billion number that Dan Andrews was talking about within the space of a year. That just sounded unrealistic. So they came under pressure, the government, to sort of explain this decision. Obviously, this was politically sensitive, uh, major, major cancellation of a, an event that could have been popular and had been pitched as uh, uh, money generating, uh, an economy generating sort of event for rural Victoria. So they did detail some of these costs. And as I said, at face value, I think when you think about it, you think, okay, yeah, that does make sense. You've got things like uh, accommodation. So when they signed up to host the events, the idea was that they would build uh, accommodation for the athletes in the old gold mining town in Ballarat, which is a high growth, high population town that's, uh, that's done very well over the past 20 years. But the, the since Russia invaded Ukraine, the construction industry in Australia has really struggled. You know, costs, inflation. You've had you've had developers going down. So the government of Victoria basically said we couldn't really build permanent athletes villages, which we were hoping to, which would have cost about two hundred million dollars. You know, we're now going to have to build temporary structures and sign new contracts to do that. That's going to cost a billion dollars. So when you add that sort of stuff up, you think, okay, you know, that does sound like you know, a, a fairly compelling argument. It is incredibly controversial. I think uh, the financial element is is definitely at the core of this and has had also had a bit of a knock-on effect to, to other places thinking about whether they can do this or not. Now, you asked if there are other factors at play. Mm. Uh, you know, some cynics would probably say that, look, you know, uh, the Labor government 
uh, agreed to do this before an election. They're a popular government. There, was, there wasn't really much expectation they would lose that election. But, you know, certainly targeting infrastructure build in uh, these places is, is going to be politically popular and tells a good story about putting investment into areas outside Melbourne. A cynical view could say, well, you know, you said that before an election and then after the election you pull out of it. You know, who knows? <laughs> who knows? It's certainly not political. It's not been a political winner to cancel. Uh, more broadly, I think there are question marks about Victoria's finances. There does appear to be a lot of economic pressure on Victoria at the moment. Uh, you know, the Commonwealth Games wasn't the only thing before the election that the Dan Andrews government was promising to throw a lot of money at. We had the re-establishment at the SEC. We've got plans for offshore wind off Gippsland. Uh, and we have, as always seems to be the case, a lot of road projects, you know, very, very grandiose road projects, whether you're talking about knocking out level crossings or whether you're talking about the suburban rail loop, which is an enormous enormous, you know, Melbourne plan. And with interest rates going up as much as they have, uh, some of those projects obviously now look a bit untenable and it feels like the Commonwealth Games, as embarrassing as it is, was the first shoe to drop really. Mm. I want to pick up on something that you mentioned just briefly uh, there, but the fact that it could have been a money generating project. And I think it's especially interesting to contrast this decision with the success of the World Cup that we've just seen. And now you rightly pointed out to me that you have to be careful about comparing and contrasting these because the cancellation happened on the 17th of July and the World Cup kicked off on the 20th of July. But it does seem especially interesting that these two events have kind of happened side by side. It is. It's an, and if you're looking for direction of travel, it's an it's an incredible compare and contrast. You have the Commonwealth Games, historically massively popular in countries like Australia and uh, Canada and the UK, and you have women's football, which you know has struggled really to get its head above water in terms of public interest for a long time, and. You know, it feels a bit like, you know, these horribly laboured sporting metaphor that a, a baton has been passed a little bit here uh, because, you know, Commonwealth Games is not going to happen in Victoria at least. And despite the political furore about that, there doesn't seem to be a huge public backlash about that not being held here and compare that to the absolute euphoria around the Women's World Cup, which is, you know, broken every record in terms of, you know, broadcast, in terms of, attendances you know it's been a phenomenal success now so what do we read into that do we read that football as the europeans call it soccer here um you know has finally broken into australia which which has been a very long and slow road or you know as opposed to these sort of you know huge week-long events where you're watching lawn bowls one minute and javel in the next you know is this just consumer behavior or, and also we probably have to factor in the fact that the Women's World Cup was held in existing stadiums. The finals and the semi-final played in Stadium Australia, which was built for the Olympics. New Zealand hosted a lot of games, so there was shared cost. It's certainly an interesting contrast. And I guess a lot of people will probably take this sort of form of view that, you know, soccer is a very established, very popular global game. And, you know, uh, Australians have really now woken up to the joy of hosting a, a tournament like that, as opposed to, yeah, sort of forcing the Commonwealth Games, you know, which has been here twice in the last 20 years, you know, again. <laughs> I'm going to be back with more of my conversation with Nick in just a moment. 
we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Victorian Premier Daniel Andrews remains adamant that a $380 million settlement with Commonwealth Games organisers was the best outcome possible. Uh, a final settlement, $380 million, not a dollar more, uh, no court action. The matter is closed out and finalised. Welcome back. You're listening to The Dive. I'm your host, Sasha Kelly. I'm joined by Nick Fields, the Australia and Pacific correspondent for The Financial Times. Let's get back into our conversation. It's interesting that you mentioned, you know, how popular the games has been in not just Australia, but other countries as well, the UK and Canada. And Canada's one I want to pick up on because the province Alberta had the only other bid for the 2030 games and they withdrew on the 4th of August. That's not the only games that's been in trouble. South Africa was stripped of the 2022 games and Birmingham had to step up to the plate. So it's like almost these three iterations of the Commonwealth Games have had significant drama surrounding them, 2022, 2026 and 2030. What does this say about the future of the Commonwealth Games? It doesn't look great. And <laughs> yeah. let's, 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 let's bear in mind with the Canada situation as well. That, that's meant to be an anniversary one. That's like the 100-year anniversary, which and it was originally in Hamilton in Canada. They don't want it. So you have to ask the question, have time to move on? These, you know, Commonwealth Games were originally the Empire Games, right? You know, ergo, you know, this was a way of sort of, you know, knitting together uh, Commonwealth countries with a shared history, i.e. they were colonised by Britain. You know, we're now in 2023, Empire and colonialism has looked at very differently now. Um, so it, it does beg the question, you know, if Australia or Britain or Canada, which are clearly the three largest countries, economies and that are able to host an event like this won't do it and don't want to do it and the 70-odd other countries that participate in the Games don't have the finances and we don't have the appetite to invest in putting it there, then, you know, you do have to question, you know, how long this will go on because you're right it's it's now been now been three consecutive games effectively where it's a bit like pass the parcel you know <laughs> you're just like you know we want to do it we can't we will do it if someone else pays for it um you know it's it's it seems like a real struggle when you compare it to the you know the football world cup and the olympic games where there's extremely competitive processes to to host those events um it's 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 not looking great um, and then you move to the question about, you know, I think it's when I've spoken to economists about it, even the Olympic Games has changed its uh, financing model slightly. You know, it used to be, and Sydney's a great example of this, and London to some extent as well, it used to be that you would bid for the Olympic Games as a way of generating, uh, you know, money for the economy, bringing tourism in, you know, Barcelona, obviously that was another one as well, sort of showcasing what your city is and what it can do to the world. But it was also a way of regenerating areas. I mean, East London, Stratford, you know, that, that the legacy of that Olympic Games is there for all to see. But it kind of feels like these big multi-event games have moved more towards the model of trying to find somewhere that already has stadiums that, you know, isn't going to cost the earth to hold them there. And there's only so many cities for a Commonwealth Games that that's going to apply to. So you, you used to have to start asking whether it's just going to be the 
whose turn is it this time? (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, look at paint on the stadium and, you know, here here we go again uh, because it just doesn't have that sort of, you know, competition to use this as an economic stimulus anymore given, especially in a, as we talked about, uh, an era of high inflation where paying for this stuff is really difficult. You know, it's a very open question. Mm. One more question before I let you go. I want to talk a little bit about the role that sport can have in terms of um, connecting nations. Obviously, we talked a little bit about the history of the Commonwealth Games previously being the Empire Games and that being a really different atmosphere in 2023 than when the games were originally conceived. But what significance does the Commonwealth Games have internationally as a kind of representation of alliances between nations? Uh, this is, for me, a really interesting question, right? So Australia at the moment, in terms of the work I do, we're looking at AUKUS, getting closer to the Americans and the British, but, you know, clearly that's a, a very uh, American-centric pact. Uh, then we have the Quad, now we're getting closer to India, who we're pushing for a free trade agreement with Japan. We're getting closer to countries like Korea and uh, the Philippines and Indonesia, our, our regional neighbours. Uh, which most people think makes sense, right? You know, so you put the Commonwealth Games in that context, it, it kind of feels a little bit jarring. Um, you know, why? You know, why, why are we why are we hanging on to this legacy of empire? Look, we're having a debate potentially about having another Republican vote. You know, how does this play into that? Um, so, you know, all of these are very very interesting questions. But the flip side, I guess, is that sport does provide countries with a form of soft power, obviously. And Australia is investing a lot of money and a lot of time under the Albanese government in the Pacific. You know, obviously China has made diplomatic inroads, security inroads into that region. Now, what do we know at Pacific? A lot of those tiny countries play in the Commonwealth Games. In terms of, you know, again, another contrast, we're about to have the Pacific Games in the Solomon Islands in a stadium that's been paid for with Chinese money. There's clear sort of examples here of why you could argue that the Commonwealth Games diplomatically for Australia could be quite important in those rebuilding the, and strengthening those those regional uh, sort of relations with the Pacific and, you know, also with countries in Africa where a lot of Australia's miners are active and want to do more in the critical mineral space. So, you know, there are some people that think this is a little bit short-sighted that, uh, you know, if there was some way to do this at this time, um, you know, that, that there would be benefits to that. So, you know, you have two sides of the, the, the equation there really, you know, is this a legacy of the past that we should really be moving from, on from or is it, could it be rethought and could the benefits of holding some something like this strengthen a country like Australia or Canada's uh, or Britain's new relationship with with some important, no matter how small they are, some very important countries. Mm. Nick, thanks so much for a fascinating discussion. So many rabbit holes that I could ask you more questions for there, but we have to close the book at some time. Um, but I really appreciated you spending the time talking with us on The Dive today. That's oh, a pleasure. And we're going to leave it there for today. As always, if you enjoyed this episode, there's one thing that you can do for us and that's to send it to a friend. It's 30 seconds and a text message from you. It is a massive deal to us. Let someone know how much you're enjoying the show. I'm going to be back in your feeds on Wednesday. Until then.
You have been listening to an Equitymates Media production. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equitymates Media acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. This podcast is intended for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general advice only and has not taken into account your personal financial circumstances, needs or objectives. Before acting on general advice, you should consider if it is relevant to your needs and read the relevant product disclosure statement. And if you're unsure, please speak to a financial professional. The hosts of this podcast and their guests may have positions in the companies mentioned. Equitymates Media operates under an Australian Financial Services Licence 540697. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.